Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. The word Camelot came to mind this week, and the original word and the idea of the word Camelot comes to do with, the, it's, a law, it's a word that spans actually from the 12th century and King Arthur and whatnot, and it has to do with this kind of this idea of what maybe a mythical or what a life maybe would look like, a Camelot would be a mythical dream life, what that could look like, and so that sort of word came up to me, and then it uh, this week, and, and I started thinking about that, and sometimes in life, sometimes we, we often think, maybe with even the kingdom life or the Beatitudes, we often think like it's sort of a Camelot life, like the Beatitudes and the kingdom life and the, God, the life that God wants us to live in the kingdom of God sometimes can feel or seems like it can be a little bit like a Camelot life, like it's sort of like a fairy tale or mystical kind of life. But I'm thankful I'm here today to remind us that the Bible is the source of truth and it describes all of what life and all of what life we are longing for and the life that we are searching for. Jesus describes what true kingdom life looks like and the Beatitudes and that kind of life that we were all meant to live to begin with and the kind of life that we are people that we are meant to live into the kingdom of God, the life that we are all meant to live. And when we look at the Beatitudes, there's sometimes they meet us with surprise because they may look nothing like the dream life or the Camelot or mystical or the dream home or car life that we were hoping for. The mythical Camelot life, whoever creates it, whether it be Camelot or Disney, will always vanish in the wind. Will always vanish in the wind. And if I can be honest for a second, some of the Beatitudes and some of the things that Jesus calls for, the kingdom life that he calls for, it can be undermined because it feels a little bit like Camelot-ish. A little bit fairy tale ish Like, really? I mean, the meek? The meek inherit the earth? I mean, the poor in spirit? The poor in spirit? They're the ones that the kingdom belongs to them? The peacemakers are the ones who are going to see God? You're going to feel like that that's sort of like this mystical kind of existence of a life that like sort of out there and sort of not there and not... It's kind of like it doesn't work with reality, and yet Jesus reminded, and we're reminded throughout the scriptures, it's like, man, I thought the world ran with like the loudest, the elite, the strong arms, the guys, the big guys, transcend on the little guys. I thought that. Does life really work like this? And we ask ourselves that with the Beatitudes. Is life really like that? You see, unlike Disney, unlike Camelot, the kingdom of God will never fail. It will never, it will, it will never, never fail or vanish. It will endure forever. And those kinds of ideals will one day collect dust. One day, Disney will collect dust or simply cease to exist. Jesus said in himself that the kind of people who will and can change the world are a part of the kingdom of God. And he announced it when he said, the time is fulfilled when the kingdom of God has come near. So very near because of him and in him. And things started happening. People were being cured of diseases. Those who had long suffered blindness now began to see. The lame were beginning to walk. People long held captive by demonic spirits were being set free. And this was happening all across the scriptures when Jesus said this. Hope was being restored. People from all over Galilee were coming in to see him. And for the next, the next few weeks when we talked about this and the next several weeks we're going to talk about the words of Jesus and those words that were spoken on a Galilean hillside long ago. And how those words have leapt off the page and are found all over the place in our world on posters and greeting cards 
hanging on walls, hospital rooms, and emails. And so we're talking about these words, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. If you have your Bible today, you can go to Matthew chapter 5, page 683 of the Bible in front of you if you'd also like to go there. Um, and we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the Scriptures. Um, if you don't have a home church, if this isn't your home church, make sure you find one that does preach and teach from the Scriptures faithfully. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well, and it's also on the Bible in front of you. Beatitudes. This is what God, this is the, this is the Beatitudes are what, if, the, the, if your Bible has those kind of those headline titles there, um, the Beatitudes are what God and His kingdom, what people who belong to His kingdom, what God calls blessed is not often what the world might call blessed. But as people are a part of the kingdom and vibrant life of God, it is a life that is, that is vibrant and a life that's part of the kingdom of God. And this is all on the Sermon on the Mount. This is a long block of teaching from Jesus. And uh, if you read through Matthew 5 through 7, um, and if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're, you might be reading through that and you're saying, man, that's a long sermon. Um, but it's actually shorter than probably today. So there you go. You can read through it. Um, the, the Sermon on the Mount is what God says, like this is a vision for what they're living into the kingdom of God. This is what kingdom life looks like. This is what it looks like to be a part of life on earth as it is in heaven. What it looks like to walk with me. And this is what happens when the gospel, when the good news of Jesus has come to save us from our sin and separation from God, that God will forever dwell with us, it gets a hold of the human heart and begins to change someone and people begin to live them out. This is what happens, emerges, this life emerges out of this. And it comes in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is one of four gospels, accounts of Jesus' life. And Matthew's telling us as this, he was an eyewitness there. He was a disciple, a former tax collector. And he was telling us, he's telling us this, um, as he was there, through eyewitness eyes, through his eyes, through real time, and he's got a front row view of what's happening with Jesus. You see, Jesus comes to present a kingdom not of this world and turns everything right side up. The qualities that he blesses only seem upside down because our old humanity is upside down, and then the world is upside down. And when Jesus comes, he brings forth a kingdom that does not look like the world. Right side, so rights, you could, in a sense, when, those, when you read the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are this, right side up are the meek, right side up are the merciful, uh, right, side up are, right side up are the peacemakers. And Jesus begins to change the world. People, a part of the kingdom of God, uh, begin to change the world through ordinary people, through ordinary Western Pennsylvanians who are changed by Jesus and his gospel, and these qualities begin to emerge in that person. And we've said this, but just bears repeating. Poverty in spirit, mourning and gentleness or meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, purity in heart, and peacemaking and being persecuted are all the result of the gospel breaking through us. They are the consequences of turning around and embracing the reign of Jesus Christ. And these are qualities that must be done if we embrace Jesus and his gospel first. These are not passive qualities. These are active and these are very strong qualities. And as the result of being infused by his grace, the result of the kingdom breaking into us and doing its work in us and through us. And if we follow Jesus, we can do some self-reflection. We can say, does my life does my heart represent a lot of these qualities? Does my, do, do I represent part of these qualities? And it's why Jesus says, even before the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 4, He says the Beatitudes, He says that repent and believe the Gospel, that we are to turn and we are to believe in the Gospel. But the Beatitudes express 
what a life with God, what kingdom life looks like, if you're part of the kingdom of God. These are values of a person who lives under the reign and the authority of King Jesus. And through these blessings, these are the people that will experience the divine life. They are the ones through whom the kingdom of God will expand. And even though the world and even though others may not may look like it may be trampled upon, Jesus says they are the ones whom the, that, that I will bless and the ones that are in sync and with the kingdom of God. Uh, the people that will advance his reign um, in, into this world. And so we're going to read these, Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Starting in verse 1 together. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed, so here's today, a couple of ones today. Blessed are the meek. Did you read, notice that? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And that word blessed can also, can also in the original language, has the kind of the force of, of in sync or in harmony or in synchronized are the meek. The, the people that are synchronized in the kingdom of God are the meek. So often we assimilate meekness with weakness. Kind of use that together. They sound the same, don't they? Um, and we often associate the two because we put meekness and alignment with the word meek, and then our minds just run endlessly from there. Um, but the word there in the original language has to describe the nature of a tamed animal, strength under control, so to speak. And one might imagine a wild stallion that has been captured and tamed, so it might carry a rider or be fed by the hand of a child. The horse still has all of its strength and swiftness. It hasn't lost a bit of its capacity. But its raw power has been brought under control and focused on for a purpose. Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to people such as these. Only two people in the Bible are described specifically as meek. Moses and Jesus. Moses who led the great exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. Now the man Moses was very humble. Also meek can be translated more than any man who is on the face of the earth. That's from Numbers 12.3. Matthew tells us that where Jesus calls to come and to take up his yoke, Jesus says of himself, for I am gentle, it's the same word there for meek, for I am meek and humble in heart, in Matthew 11. And if all of the great players of salvation, Moses, all across all the scriptures, all across all the scriptures, Moses and Jesus are the ones who are called meek. It cannot mean weakness or spinelessness. It has to be a strong term to describe kingdom people. Same word shows up from the Apostle Paul to urge Christians to exercise such a word. Now, I, Paul, urge me you to, to you, you urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we have been called with all humanity and gentleness, which is also weakness. And so, so also those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, 
gentleness and patience. And gentleness and meekness is also this, used as the same word. In Galatians chapter 5, he lists the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness or meekness, and self-control. In other places, he speaks of meekness. He never speaks of himself as meek. Perhaps to give reference to the two people in the Bible that are described as meek. Um, many people believe, so in the, in the Beatitudes, um, many people believe, and Jesus was a master at this. He used Scripture to interpret Scripture, and He also used it, and we learn that uh, He used Scripture to interpret Scripture. Many people believe uh, that Jesus is directly quoting the Old Testament here, um, which He did over the course of His ministry. And of course, with Jesus as the Son of God, nobody has a greater awareness of the Scriptures than Jesus. So in Psalm 37, verse 10 and 11, it says, A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So what makes the meek, what makes a person who is meek so powerful? What makes this person so powerful? Something where so valuable that they could inherit something. What makes meekness so valuable in our culture? What possibly could it be for those who are part of the kingdom of God? What value might this virtue have on our culture right now? Well, how do the meek have such an influence on us? Notice what the meek have other than the other Beatitudes. They inherit the earth. And I don't know about you, but I was like, kind of like, whoa, for a minute there. If you inherit something, that's different from seizing something or conquering something. An inheritance is received, usually through an established relationship. If you inherit something from your parents, you did nothing to earn it. You received it graciously because you were fortunate enough to have been their child. And Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. You see, in the context, if we read this right in the middle of where Jesus was in the land and the culture of the Bible, the Romans had occupied much of the known world by force. And he's striking a chord with his audience right there on that Galilean hillside. The very ears that were hearing this beatitude. The rich history of hope and expectation had been anchored to this promise. And one can imagine, even on that Galilean hillside where this took place, there might have been a very small contingent of Roman soldiers there, assembly, trying to contain and monitor that crowd right there. One can imagine that. And I can imagine these soldiers rolling their eyes and smirking at one another, and the Romans didn't inherit the earth, they just took it. And they conquered it through establishing efficient systems of roads and currency and government and whatnot. And most importantly, they were the most powerful military force on earth. Yet within an earshot of the Roman soldiers, Jesus announces that the meek shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, it gives us, if you read through that whole psalm, I encourage you to do it, it gives us a picture of the term meek, a fuller picture of the term meek. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. The Lord, verse 22, the Lord blesses those who will inherit the land, but, he, but those he curses will be destroyed. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Verse 34, hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. David develops what the meek do and do not do. He says, the meek trust in the Lord, do good in the face of evil, cultivate faithfulness and trust, delight themselves in the Lord, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for the Lord. The meek don't fret because of evildoers. They don't envy. They cease from anger and forsake wrath. They depart from evil. The meek find their identity in God and security in God alone. And in verse 5, the meek commit or roll their way to the Lord. That's the meek do. 
Stuart Briscoe says it like this, the meek roll their lives, their cares, their reputations onto the Lord and let the Lord worry about it all. And they let the Lord worry about it all. Does anyone need to hear that this morning? Let the Lord worry about it all. The meek are those when offended commit their wounded egos and the one offending their ego to the perfect judge. The meek can say to herself, what, did, what she did to me was wrong, but she is answerable to God, so I'll let God deal with her. But I'm answerable to God too, so I'm going to concentrate on doing right by her. Notice the progression of these beatitudes. We've talked about this, but the poor in spirit are those who desperately need God, who know that they need, their, know they need to God, they know they need to go the desperate lengths for God, to search for God and God alone. And then they understand that without God that they are nothing. And they cannot survive. And then the mourners. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those if you are mourning. Blessed are you if you are mourning. And blessed are those who mourn over the state of our fallen world. Their promised divine comfort. Blessed are those who when the world might look down upon and even trample on the people who view the brokenness and sin of the world and whose hearts break over that brokenness and fallenness of our world. Uh, Dale Bruner is another uh, author, he says it like this, for a third time in three Beatitudes, it appears that Jesus simply picks up the pieces, first to the dependent poor, then to the grief-stricken, and now to the unaggressive. Jesus gives everything, God's kingdom, God's comfort, and now God's green earth. Yet everyone else knows it is often, it seems as though it feels like in the world, it's like, you know, the physically strong, the possibility thinkers, the the self-confident, the dynamically assertive, those are the people who get things done on earth. Those are the people who really get things done on earth. Yet Jesus promises earth and heaven not to those who grab and push and demand. The meek are those who have strength in God's promises and delight in God's strength in us and moving through us. That's the meek. That is the meek. And that's who God describes as meek in the scriptures. Blessed are those, next one, not blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And to reiterate, these are kingdom qualities that emerge out of a heart that belongs to the kingdom of God. Jesus enters into our heart and changes all of our hungers and thirsts and restores us in the hunger and thirst by which we were made. In the process, he heals all over the natural cravings that the power of sin has twisted. When Jesus breaks into our world, he rewires our distorted hungers and thirst. And if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ today, you have Christ's righteousness in you by faith. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if you place faith in Jesus Christ, you trust him in your life, you trust him, place faith in him as the son of God, you are declared righteous in God's sight, meaning you are declared perfect in the eyes of God. Christ's righteousness, his sacrifice is now your life, and now you are declared righteous in the sight of God. And in the sight of God, we are completely cut off and destined for eternity in hell. And there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. There's nothing that can separate us. You are declared righteous in the eyes of God and blameless before God. But you also see righteousness is also relational. We see that all across the scriptures as well. Relationships with God and all the great truths of the Bible are describing our relationship with God and other people. His righteousness endures forever in the Psalm 111 and 112. And he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, Psalm 89, 14. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God, Psalm 36, verse 6. And as we've looked at this past year for our church, and we have said that Matthew 6, 33 is part of that theme verse for our church, pervading our church this coming year. It says, seek first his kingdom and his what? Righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So what's righteousness? Righteousness is living in faithfulness to the terms of the relationship. And it's not legal principles. It's not that. It's about living to the particular claims that any relationship lays upon us. Best I've understood righteousness is this, is right relatedness. And I've heard somebody say this before, and uh, I, I think that's the best way to say it. Righteousness is right-relatedness. Right-relatedness with God and right-relatedness in our relationships with other people. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right relationships. Right-relatedness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right-relatedness with God and right-relatedness with other people, for they shall be filled. You ever heard the term, you are what you eat? (laughs) You ever heard that term, you are what you eat? If you feed on violence, reality television, materialism, you'll begin to personify it. Yet what Jesus is saying here is that hungering and thirsting isn't half-hearted. If you've ever gone length at length, thirsty or hungry for any stretch, you in part know this, that hungering and thirsting is just a part of our natural instinct. Oftentimes, we as Christians can become a little bit stale over the course of time. Things, relationships and whatnot can become a little bit stale. Perhaps you remember when you were most desperate for the things of God, hungry for His Word, hungry about the world and the community and the lost. This one brings forth a challenge for us because I imagine all of us are hungry and thirsty at one point or another. And maybe you're sitting here and your stomach's growling and you can't wait for lunch after church. So this one brings forth a challenge for us. Because this is saying the necessity that you and I have is the hunger that we ought to have for God. The necessity that we have to hunger and thirst, the necessity, the, 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 that's part of our DNA is the hunger that we ought to have for God. You see, what might it look like, church, to hunger and thirst for the things of God right now in our circumstances? And you may be thinking, they're kind of bleak. They don't, there's not a way out. Pastor, I've tried it. I've done all the things. What would it look like to hunger and thirst for the things of God in our circumstances right now? Just as this is Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is sort of the DNA in us. What needs to happen in me? This is a reflection for all of us. What needs to happen in me in order for that relationship to work? If we're going to thirst for right relatedness and relationships, we have to ask ourselves, we can't make someone else you know, whatever that, but we have to ask ourselves, what needs to happen in us in order for that relationship to work? Hungering and thirsting for right relatedness, repairing relationships that have gone south. Instead of throwing in the towel, we might begin to hunger and thirst for the things of God. You see, we can turn to a lot of other things when faced with the brokenness of this world. Alcohol, abuse, revenge, manipulation, what, would, what might it look like to hunger and thirst for right relatedness in our world? Instead of throwing in the towel on that relationship, our heart condition that's bent towards such, or instead of basking in sin, what might it look like to hunger and thirst for the things of God? 
To truly seek the heart of God and the fullness of the kingdom of God and and the fullness of this as it relates to forgiveness. As it relates to forgiveness. To truly lean in and hunger and thirst for a relationship that has not always been peaceful and to do the hard work of making peace. To begin contending for the kingdom to break through that prodigal son or daughter. And to begin for the kingdom to contend in you and me when we're around them. Asking for the kingdom to come in us when we're around them. God, contend, I hunger and thirst for your kingdom and your righteousness when I'm around that person because I want them to know what it looks like to belong to the kingdom of God. And that's part of what it means to be in the kingdom. To contend for the thirst for God's purposes here and now. And yes, the world is messed up and broken, but we see glimpses of the kingdom of God here and now. It happened all over the course of Jesus' ministry. I just Let's put away the is what it is and begin contending for the kingdom to come in all spheres. And a challenge to this beatitude is to say, you know, I've done all that I can do. The contending is done. I've done all that I can do. Or maybe the, content, the part of this beatitude that challenges me, it's like, but I'm halfway there, God. I'm halfway. And yet I know that hungering and thirsting are instinctive things that are just a part of our nature. They do not go away. We will always hunger and thirst no matter what. Blessed are those who are hungering and are thirsting. We are sinners in need of mercy, and apart from the mercy of God, we cannot exist. And we cannot live without eating and drinking. We put ourselves at the mercy of God because we are sinners, and we place ourselves under the authority of God and the reign of God because we cannot, apart from the mercy of God, we cannot live apart from Him. What would it look like for the church? What would it look like for the church to hunger and thirst for the things of God this year? What would it look like to have our church be known as a place for the, that contends for the kingdom and the lost and the darkness to be driven out? A place where we thirst for the things of God to see heaven win and hell lose. <laughs> to make heaven crowded. <laughs> the mission of the church should be that. Make heaven crowded. Jesus says here, that the Beatitudes, he says, these are a result of the gospel breaking through our lives. These are the qualities of life expressed under the authority of the King. What needs to happen in us in order to pursue right relatedness? What needs to happen in me to pursue right relatedness? These are the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness where righteousness, where right-relatedness is the rule. These are the people who are hungry and thirsty for peace in the Middle East, hungry for a world without terror and crime and violence, no more skyrocketing crime rates in our cities, a a day when the peace rains down and soaks this world with humility and joy, a day when the lion lays down with the lamb, hungry for a day that does not include the harrowing power of addictions, the exploiting curse of pornography, abuse of all kinds, thirsty for a world where we can be one nation under God without apology or asterisks, a thirst for right relatedness toward the earth by which we've been placed upon to love and to steward. This is what powerful kingdom life looks like. Lord, I pray that my relationships, that I thirst for right relatedness in my relationships. Odd, I thirst God, I thirst for right relatedness in my relationships. I know things are tense. I know that relationship is strained. But what would it look like for God, for you to do it in me? And to be that kind of kingdom person to say, man, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the kingdom of God because of that. Lord, do it in my life. And there's a real sense I get 
that you and I ache for the church to be a real dent in our culture. There's a real sense I get in that. Help the church be a force. Like, be a force that cannot be contended with. God, we pray that the kingdom of God would break through the darkness in our town and the walls would be shaken. <laughs> and the walls would be shaken. We'd be the kind of people in our culture and we'd make a dent in our culture and we have to say, all of us, we got to say, God, let my heart break for what breaks your heart. Lord, let my heart break for what breaks yours. Lord, as I draw closer to your heart, let the things that break your heart break my heart. Help me see, and I, I pray this, help me see the things that I dismiss that break your heart, that I just kind of want to skip over. Lord, help me be absolutely broken over my own sin and help me to put to, put to death that sin. We often fail to recognize or dismiss those who are hurting and broken, but there are real folks walking in darkness and needs around us that in our kingdom bearing and drawing near to them, we can further the kingdom by entering into their mourning, enter, entering into their brokenness as well. We've said this as a corporate prayer for our church. Lord, let my affections and my desires for you be aligned above all else this year. Have my purpose be for your glory and to see your glory come. And may it begin to shine forth in my life. God, help me to see about your kingdom coming this coming year and for the sake of my family and friends and church, neighbors and community. And may I shine brightly for you this coming year. May we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus says all these things will be given to us as well. And so as we close... I'm reminded of the scriptures and I'm reminded of this passage this morning. Worship team, why don't you come on up here? If you can, please. Um, I'm reminded of the scriptures this morning. I'm reminded of when we seek God, when we seek His kingdom, there's not... When we seek His kingdom and His righteousness, that's greater than any strategy uh, building campaign, um, annual meeting. <laughs> That's, that, is, that is the greatest thing. And the greatest thing we could ever do is, is our living in the kingdom of God by the Spirit of God, by His Word. And we have it, church. We have it. The kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are part of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those. Jesus calls those people blessed. As we seek Him, as we seek first His kingdom, as we seek first His righteousness, all these things will be added to us as well. Better than any, any kind of other thing that we've got is seeking first the kingdom of God in our relationships, in right relatedness. As we close, I just want to give pause for a minute here uh, to those who maybe are experiencing this firsthand, the struggle of the right relatedness piece, the struggle of sort of maybe you've got somebody, you got something in your mind, a relationship, a family member, something in tension that God is kind of nudging us, tapping us on the shoulder and saying, tapping on the star and saying, right relatedness. Like, how can the kingdom advance in you? Um, how can it advance in me? How can, it, how can it be a part of my life? How can this... I just want to give us that a minute to just kind of, kind of pray about that and to just give us a minute to pray before we sing together. Um,